Welcome back to Surprise Multiplayer. A little stage setting today. The podcast is in desperate need of audio, music, musical intros and cues to help separate segments. But why I can't help is Jeremy here. This part, that's our first segment. Why does Jeremy hate music? We talk about music, run the jewels too, multitasking, driving, live recording, MP3 quality and mastering, monster cables, opera, learning languages and learning generally. Next, we hit a topic rant of mine can we just stop talking about Kubernetes? We bring up the future of problem solving, OpenStack and transformation into Kubernetes, cron and abstractions, tech debt, hacker news train, complexity, dictators into technology departments. This transitions into AI and how it impacts programming. Four is greater than 10, productivity AI, tired of the chat interface, where in the org does the AI get used, tech is not ready for LLMs, Apple, iPhone, LLMs don't do dick, more silos in tech, email is the greatest tech, and shots were fired about blockchain and web of trust. John takes us into what are we playing now? GT7, Boulder's Gate, Diablo 2, campaign good, season's bad, being let down is normal, gaming is social, Destiny 2, VR, nostalgia is strong with this one, child labor, F1 2023, Offline Championships, David Portnoy, Matt Levine, and One Bite Pizza. We both got a little sidetracked down into family and games at this point in time, where we ended up talking about Factorio, kids and stupid games, read rather than YouTube, YouTube to fix things, Kurzitzan, unreasonableness as a father, screen time, contacts, iOS 7, streaks, face IDs, green light, Apple becoming a bank, Apple Card, Betterment, and YNAP. How do we start with, why does Jeremy hate music? Alright, um, cool. Because I, hating music, it's, it, you're, you're putting emotion behind it. Well, let me, let me start with a statement. Um, it's not that I hate music. I don't seek it out. Um, I listened to the same six albums for probably the last f- five to six years. Um, every now and then a new album will come into my uh, repertoire. Uh, the last new album that came in was Run the Jewels 2. And that's Respect. about it. Respect. Um I, I I don't think I would say it's fair to say you hate music, but you it takes a lot for you to gain respect enough. No, to, no, I just no? don't see it out. I, I like oh. me listening to music is literally I have to be unwilling to listen to something else in the car and be alone and being either angry, being mad at something, frustrated, and trying to fucking do something else. Um, but is I it always that same emotion or does different emotions affect the different type of music you listen to? Um, always that same emotion and almost all the music's going to fit into that genre. <laughs> <laughs> Except for a little bit of logic, but that's a little bit of weird ATL <sighs> because Jeremy's weird. <laughs> so I remember we've we've been talking a long time and and one thing that always you would say to me is you don't know how 
I take I do things multitask and do things yep. you know in the car for example take a meeting or or even you know listen to a podcast we both do that at. but yeah. driving and doing two or three things is a little is multitasking is does music fit into the same kind of realm for you as listening to a podcast because it's music isn't necessarily intellectually stimulating so it is that's why the the things i like are usually things that are continuous story arcs inside the music um even though i re-listen to them over and over again um uh, what's logic's album where it's about a spaceship going to another planet it's just it's literally a story from the beginning out i only listen to the album from beginning to end all the way through um and that's it and then move on uh, Run the Jewels isn't a continuous story arc, but if you listen to it enough times, it is. <laughs> <laughs> if um, you listen to anything enough times, it becomes kind of a But circle. I mean, it's <laughs> always me thinking about something. And so, yeah, it is inherently, I think in the last 10 years of my life, I have really, really stopped being able to multitask. Um, and it's not because I don't think I can, because I don't choose to. I find that I give poor effort to things that I try to multitask to. I find that even podcasts, I do house cleaning while I do podcasts, or at least the ones I give a shit about. Yeah. Um, with music, same way. I mean, driving, I want to listen to it. I'm angry, but I'm going to listen to what I want. Um, oh my God, if my wife puts on country music, I'm going to die. But that's a whole different issue. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think uh, I'm very similar in the sense where I'll use um, do certain activities and associate it with either you know listening to a podcast, listen to music. Um, I think the difference with how I approach music, it's for me, it's very much a does it sound good, and am I in the mood to hear that type of beat? Right? Uh, I'll have different playlists. Like one of my playlists is uh, named uh, was it Big Hair and Smoke Machines. <laughs> and read the arcade <laughs> so uh, yeah and and uh, you know i think very much playlists to uh fit a certain mood and um an interesting thing for me lately i'd say in the last probably 10 years uh listening to music i've i appreciate so much more acoustic live albums uh like recordings from Red Rocks, recordings, very good, high-quality recordings live. Why? What is different? Like, as a person, I can't hear a beat to save my life. I couldn't tell you what a good recording is from a bad recording. What is the difference? What about a live, good recording do you care about? So you hear so much more in the music when it's uh, when it's not, you know, mixed and uh i don't know overdubbed and you know everything's i guess depending on the music it it sounds entirely different right and, and i think when, when i uh, the genre that i grew up with was very much like um you know i don't know grunge punk post 90s early 2000s and music just to me started to all sound the same right after that um so, you know, genres all sounded the same is a better way to put it. Except when you have an acoustic or a live performance, especially a performance at like Red Rocks, where it's some of the best acoustics I've heard in live albums. You know? 
Is that something like I know more about like the science of mixing and not because I care, but because I came across it. I found it really interesting that for a long time that music was pushed to the highest possible amplitude to make sure that it was loudest on the radio because that turned up to be valuable to make sure they got played and replayed. And it was working to create albums that were one hit wonders in the nineties and the two thousands. Um, and then it changed when basically with the advent of MP3, where literally live albums are considered to be less sound, less good than most people that grew up with only MP3s because that's what they expect. They expect the quality of an MP3, the mastering of an MP3. And so, like, there's a college professor at a Cambridge or some school where he basically, that one, I think it was 2005, 2006, he goes, there's the year it flipped. It was a year when people preferred MP3 quality, massively mastered music over live because that's what they were exposed to. And that's the part that I found interesting, not the how it all went in. Is So... I, I I remember a point in time where I preferred MP3 to uh, was it high quality audio from CDs and even DVD performances. I don't think, or even today, I don't even remember it being anything about necessarily the sound or the quality of the music, but rather the just the ease of use of an mp3 versus those other formats for example for i there's a dropkick murphy's concert that i went to 2006 maybe during st patty's day and about three or four months later they put out a dvd dvd had high quality audio from the same performance that they did over seven days and they basically mixed and matched the best of every single the track over those seven days and you got the best performance for that time. The quality was so much better, but in order to get at that quality, I needed to spend thousands of dollars on equipment because (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not really going to hear that if I put it in my El Cheapo PlayStation 2 DVD player and output it on, like, you know, Logitech desktop speakers. (laughs) Do you need monster cables for that? Yeah, back then, I probably... I probably okay. would have bought monster cables. Yeah. Okay. You know not to buy monster cables now. I know not to buy monster cables. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. That I, was a joke. I was so I was about to have a lot of fun with you for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> no, I know not to buy monster cables. Um, but I think getting back to my original statement, I prefer acoustics. Just like uh, my music growing up, the best artists that I continue to listen to. And that I remember from my childhood were all artists that I saw live. Um, except for, you know, the oldies and the classics, things my parents grew up with. But, like, the artists that of my uh, years I saw live, and they continue to be the best ones. So it's really the experience for me. And listening to acoustic live performances, it gets me to that experience of being at a live show. I... I... Do not share that experience at all. (laughs) Um, My life show experiences were uh, George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic way back in the 90s and me going, oh, my God, this is loud. I don't know what's going on. Get me the hell out of here. (laughs) Uh, That might be uh, that might be the anger part. And that also might be because he came on stage naked. But 
<laughs> that too? Yeah. You, you know, Church Clinton's going to do what he's going to do. Is he still around? I think so. Yeah. He's got to be. Today I learned. Yep, he's still around. Ooh, wow. God, he's getting old. Is that 82 that years. Age? I was saying, early, mid-80s. I was even thinking mid-80s. Yeah. But yeah, no, I can't, uh, I can't dance. I can't teach my kids how to dance. I can't hear a beat. Music is basically lost on me. So if you ask me to pick out, like, so this conversation started because I'm like, if we're going to have music at the beginning of the podcast, don't ask me. <laughs> I'm not going to be a part of this question. It's not going to work well. <laughs> so let me ask this question. I've seen you, at least I recall, seeing you play Twitch games and games with beats. Not I don't, not Guitar Hero, but I, I, can you play those? Like, is that something that you're able to, like, you know, it's usually follow. it's it's like keyboard and hand eye coordination. I can figure out patterns uh, with my hands. Um, I can't hear the beat. I can't predict the beat. Um, it just never happens. Ask my my wife will be like when the beat changes just the slightest bit, I will lose everything. I'm like, wait, it changed. Why did it change? I'm like, well, it's music. She's like, it moves on, and I'm like, I'm confused. My son, quick aside, my son scratched my eye a few days ago. And Oof. it feels like, like by the end of the day, it feels like sand got in there. So I don't know <laughs> what I did, but it's really bad right now. Anyway, sorry. That's interesting. I, you know, I think uh, I understand not really having, you know, I, I wouldn't say I have an appreciation for music. I, for, for me, if it sounds good, I listen to it. And it could be any genre. I don't really care about, you know, the, the beefs and the politics and all the meta uh, things that go on in the music genres. <laughs> if pretty much my my uh, um, playlists go all the way from the I'd say the late '60s through I don't know uh, what something that came out this year. So yeah, but uh, I I do find it interesting that uh, that you uh, it's, it doesn't really you know it doesn't really get you. Uh, you don't zone out or anything to it. You don't get behind, you know, get a groove of either writing software because a lot of programmers often will use that as a mechanism to uh, block out the rest of uh, well the world if they're if they're working. I, I do use soft, boring classical music, not because it it's because noise canceling headphones don't work without some kind of audio playing through, sure. and it's repetitive enough that it doesn't matter but it doesn't focus require my attention um i do like classical music i find it enjoyable but it's just music to me I, I, it's like great hey it's nice to play in the background so that there's not dead silence do, do you have you ever gone to the orchestra is that something uh, i i i would i have a feeling i would appreciate it if i was willing to learn about it and that's the thing with music is I've never learned about it. I don't understand it. It's just dark magic. So in most of the things I like, I have to have kind of a sense of understanding. And I've never gotten there. Um, I do want to go to the orchestra. I do find classical music interesting. Um, like I said, background noise kind of like, hey, great. Maybe that would be something interesting. Um, but I am more interested in operas because, and that's something I want to, is because the opera is about telling a story. And it's going to hold my attention, I think. But I gotta admit, Vivaldi's uh, the seasons, those kind of stuff. I find my own stories in those, but 
it's still background noise. Going a little bit on a tangent, I know growing up you you moved a lot. Do yep. you do you know? Uh, are you bilingual? Do you know multiple languages? Yep. So kind of the uh, opera in particular is often in Italian, right? Yep. I, 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 I'm Italian three generations or so, but I don't know anything other than, you know, basic curse words and some stuff you'd say in the home around your grandmother. Um, do you think you could follow a story, uh, especially one that's sung in, in an opera, not knowing Italian? I've, I've never gone myself. No, I couldn't. But the fact that I wouldn't and I would want to, it would probably be the reason why I'd find it intriguing. It's something to learn. It's something to understand. It's the nuance. It's the, hey, Jeremy's going to have to go read a book after this. Uh, a challenge. That's, yes. Constantly like, oh, great. And then I'll cram my brain with a bunch of information that will eventually fall out of it. But that process will be fun. I know you're like me, and I've seen you cram very quickly learning new things, especially programming languages or concepts. Do you think there's a way to translate that to learning a language? I haven't a uh, spoken language. I haven't figured it out yet if there is. Um, I have found as long as there's a – we talked about this before for me. If there's a reason I can prove somebody wrong, I can do it. <laughs> and if you sit there and said, like, Jeremy, you could never learn France, and I had two weeks – no problem. I'm moving to France. I'm going to go immerse myself. I'm going to come back and be cursing that person out. Into I'm like, look, it's not the human brain is fucking amazing. It's about willingness to do it and having a true drive to do it. That's it. I mean, sure, if I was 70, it'd be much harder than when I'm 45. Um, and it'd be harder now than when I was 25. But it still ain't possible. Impossible. It's drive. It's willingness to sit down and go, I'm going to, like for me, I'm going to prove that person wrong. If you ask me to go self-motivate to do that, probably not. We could talk a whole uh, multiple segments on self-motivation. Uh, I'm a poster child for not having it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, something you said in particular is, is, I think, an interesting topic, and at least for spend a couple minutes on. Uh, do you... I'm of the age that body parts are starting to hurt. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, All the time. Uh, but one thing that uh, scares me is when I, you know, the brain starts to go and the memory starts to go. Uh, I, I haven't, up till now, the only other thing, body parts that have gone has been my eyesight. <laughs> but... Uh, do you find it harder to learn as you as you get older? Because I don't. That's actually something that, for me, hasn't declined. Um, I'm going to be more, more exact because, no, I don't find it harder to learn. I find its willingness to try to learn something new that's the hot thing is much harder for me to climb because I've seen it all before, and I'm like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> I'm I'm not going to learn some new whiz bang feature like um well we'll t like it's just the same thing over and over again. I I just because it's on Hacker News doesn't mean I need to learn it. It when it's deployed to a million hosts and people actually give a shit and we're actually doing something useful with it, then it's time to learn. It makes a lot of sense. That's age. It, it's experience though. It's yeah. it's less age and more experience. I think you know you don't necessarily get them both hand in hand, but no. 
but but when you do get experience you start to learn you start to learn the things to know not to do are much more important than <laughs> knowing the things to do well, i mean i think this will come up throughout all of our podcasts in one form or another is jeremy's goal of life is to find out what not to do over and over again <laughs> and try but this is something i try to teach people um and we talked about this in some of the mentoring is how do we get people to pick that they don't like something and just stop? Same thing goes for me. I don't like, we can talk about any random technology and I'm like, I don't like that. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm backing the fuck away. Um, doesn't mean I can't learn it. It's not because it's not, I'm not capable. It's just like, no, I'm not interested. For one reason or another, through your experience, you realize that there is no value to you and probably to the people listening in learning a particular thing yep. because you know you've seen everyone bash right. their head into a table a thousand times over and i'm going <laughs> to be wrong and i'm going to get some of those wrong and i'm going to have to go learn it eventually um that's fine i mean whoop de doo i'm wrong all the time kubernetes no <laughs> <laughs> breathe um yeah that's i think that's kind of like our segue into what i thought was a conversation starter um I'm really excited for AI, not because I haven't seen it, because it's not particularly great yet, but because at least can we stop talking about Kubernetes in the technology <laughs> space? I'm so tired about hearing about Kubernetes and how it's going to solve things. It's nothing special. In fact, 99% of the time I see people talk about it, they don't need it. That That is, a, that is absolutely true. And I, I realized, so Kubernetes was something special years ago it enabled for a new type of deployment for faster deployment for i would argue teams that are not as well staffed to be able to do that same type of deployment with virtual machines um now we're at the point where a lot of companies have sunk their teeth in and i'm on youtube and i'm seeing kubernetes commercials <laughs> Probably because I searched something like Kubernetes API console in Google. I maybe it's my personal experience, but you remember OpenStack? I do, uh, that that's a hard one. You that stabs feels really deep. I mean, I do remember thing. OpenStack. Such a it was a transformative for companies. Allowed them to do things in. Then the corporations got the talents into it. They started making every whiz-bang feature. Everybody developed there. It sounds really familiar, except for they never gave it to developers. Now we've expanded the pie, and now every and developer thinks, crazy. thinks they need it on top of it. And it's like, why are we solving cron jobs with a 16 levels of abstraction in Kubernetes? Not only 16 levels of abstraction, but something that before we would run in a cron tab on a host now you need what like 150 dollars worth of infrastructure to run just to get it to run the cron job once yes <laughs> well it, uh, mm, uh, the, uh, the future problem solving Paul, it's like I'm preparing for the future I'm going to build us an architecture for the problems we haven't had yet is such a mistake in 90% of Kubernetes says, I think I will have a problem in the future, but I don't have it now. And it is just borrowing problems that you don't have. Go fetch the thing you have in front of you, get it working and don't incur too much tech debt. 
The second you go like, oh, I'll solve that with Kubernetes, all right, you just put an 800-pound gorilla as your tech debt to start with, and you haven't even gotten value out of it yet. I knew it was going down a really bad path when VMware announced Tanzu. <laughs> do, do you remember VMware Tanzu? Uh, originally, at my at my job when we were when we were building Kubernetes as a service as a managed service to offer uh, internally, we looked at Tanzu because we thought and it might even be the case that it was a managed Kubernetes offering that you could leverage using Terraform resources to build a cluster via vSphere. And it turns out that they they wanted to rebuild the whole VMware ecosystem in, in running on top of Kubernetes, uh, defined wait. by Kubernetes resources. I didn't know they did that. Oh, oh I, it's still going on. Wait, wait. So they take a completely functionally useful platform. VMware is very good at vSphere, it, did really good at certain things. It's really good at certain things, and it is an excellent tool that has been battle-tested for, what, 20 years? Yeah. And they decided that they want to abstract everything behind Kubernetes API? That they wanted to start deploying uh, the v vSphere control plane and hypervisors with Kubernetes, yes. <laughs> So like that, the like for example the network fabric then becomes right like a CNI driver yes and that CNI driver theoretically you know you could plug and play with another CNI driver and it should still work keyword is should still work <laughs> that, <I'm> a, <laughs> because you know it's not like there there are hardware drivers and you know uh, one protocol might be InfiniBand not even use you know <laughs> Ethernet. <laughs> Why did I, I? I'm I'm I did not know that was. I thought it was what you initially said. It was like, oh, we're gonna part of hey, it was. We're gonna give you what you want, which everybody's asking for, uh, and you can use your standard coop control and deploy things, and it will happen. But we'll orchestrate that so that the VMs will happen by vSphere all behind. Great. Um, it'll just give you a nice in interface on top of it. But it was they wanted to manage the hardware abstraction for their. Wow, that's insanely so, bad. You know, I had no idea. I would argue that if it if you were starting at the beginning, that it might not be a bad approach. But why take something that worked and that worked very well, and do that? I don't know. I, you know, I'm not I'm I, I'm not a engineering leader over at VMware. I can't speak to it. I would love to talk to someone about it that really knows it, because that would be you're awesome welcome to join. We do guests here. Come on, join. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs> That would be a great, uh, more than an hour conversation. But my understanding is that the 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 idea behind it is that they could start to push uh, newer, more common patterns and software to their uh, their their deployment for vSphere using Kubernetes. I I I just <laughs> I I can't think of a single thing that would need that. It's just a bunch of. People that wanted to get on the Hacker News train and say that, hey, we're going to do that because uh, I can't see a business value for that. Yeah, I, I know somebody, that. somebody, somebody sold it and somebody bought that 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 sales thing. I just don't think there's a business value. Maybe I'm wrong. It won't be the first time. Um, but yeah, but on the larger Kubernetes, 
I'm just done with it. I'm just tired. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of everybody trying to sell me some top thing on top of it. Um, another orchestration layer on top of it. Another solution that's going to integrate with it. And, and, and then in the complexity. The complexity is so yes. high now with Kubernetes to the point where every Kubernetes cluster is a completely unique special snowflake. Even within the same platforms teams like you can't even move from one to the other with knowing where they are and they're just huge operational burdens they're not simple at all i agree a thousand percent and you know coming from an operations background i do understand why kubernetes is a a great platform from an uh, to operate software on top of as a small team but Everything doesn't need to fit and run on top of it, Absolutely. and you don't need, you don't need, uh, you know, ten different, what is it, overlay network overlays that exist now to do the same damn thing. Sure, they might, certain ones might do some things certain better, or, but still, it's crazy. Yeah. Fork the project. It's fine to fork projects. It's open source. Fork it and say like. I need something special and unique. I'm going to keep on investing. I'm not going to go in the cube. I'm going to, it's fine. It doesn't have to have a thousand integrations. They don't need to accept every person's random idea and say, okay, we'll give you an interface. Do you think the last five to eight years of this churn of companies that are building infrastructure products on top of Kubernetes, on top of containers, on top of um, other things, do you think it's because of the cheap VC money and yes. that we're going to start to see less of that in yes. the next eight years? 100%. Um, I think it's, uh, I'm going to say two things. I think it's technology out of control, technology departments and teams, because they're following the shiny objects a lot. Not, I'm not saying they don't have real problems they're trying to solve, but they, they, they're looking to what the industries provide. Oh, Kubernetes is the ultimate solution to all problems. So you're they're driving these initiatives and they're feeding them into every nook and cranny. Oh, this is how we be DevSecOps. This is how we be cloud agnostic. This is how we be X, Y, and Z. But those aren't important until those are actual problems that you need to accomplish. And because it was available and people kept on putting money out there, it, why not? Sure, we can do that. Um, I think it needs to be less choice in this space, and I think you're going to see a lot less of them. I think you're going to see less vendors in this space, less people going down and just go like, I need a product that works. I need it to be simple, and we need to ruthlessly focus on delivering that product. And if you need Kubernetes, great. Show why. And it better have a high-value high proposition. Do you think that, uh, that we lived in a bubble, and now the bubble's popping? And or or is that or, or is the money simply moving away from infrastructure and into AI? Um, I think about two things. I the I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I, I'm less convinced on this. I think that infrastructure got way too much money, and it grew too much because DevSecOps, DevOps, and whatever those words, cloud, blah blah blah, whatever got amalgamated into that and allowed these idea that we need to fix infrastructure, make it modern in order to deploy our apps in a modern way. Um, they didn't. They needed to make sure the apps were modern first and then migrate them in piecemeal, relentlessly focus on getting them modern, not the infrastructure, and then bring the infrastructure to meet them as they needed to. Um, I don't know where that money's going to go, but it needs to stop being spent. 
because it's just it's just it's insane. Um, I, I I'm gonna use the Python. I like the benevolent dictators. I think we need a t- like I think infrastructure like those you need somebody that's gonna stand on top and say fuck no. We need less. We need to hold the complexity back. Minus Yes, we need people that if you're in an IT department and you you have a thousand experiments being run in like six different Kubernetes clusters run by six different teams, the, somebody needs to stand up and say, shut it down. It's not worth it. Go deploy your stuff by hand. I don't care. It's okay to use Ansible. It works. It's okay to use a solution that isn't the most modern to get your software. Great. Your pipeline's mature. You're deploying your software in consistent ways. You have a reproducible uh, Spinnaker deployment structure. No problem. Great. Now you can move on to making a, a scale-out infrastructure. But you need all the other things first. And then you need a fucking dictator to say, why are we doing it still? It's expensive to run. Oh, I know all about that. Um, <laughs> I think I know a dictator about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I know all about that. What we this this could be a very deep or very um, you know inch deep, very uh, topic depending on how we go about it. But I think that the next five to ten years um, is going to be really defined about how software and AI in particular or machine learning adjacent services are going to enhance the productivity of the act of building software and of of building solutions. I don't think they're going to be replacing armies of programmers. Um, this, this, I agree, we can go as deep as you want, but think of it this way. The smarter are going to use the best algorithms to make themselves better, and they're going to be even better, and you're going to hopefully get smaller teams eventually, not because you want to reduce the workforce, but because a smaller team communicates much more effectively, they are more impactful, and they can work together better. I think that's the value proposition that comes out of AI, is that in order to get a feature out, you can have your team of four, be punching way above their weight and they don't need to coordinate as much. Four people versus 10 is drastically different. And I think that's where the power is going to come from. And I think that's where like AI giving developers is like, you're going to shrink the teams. You're going to not necessarily shrink the departments, you're going to shrink the teams. You're going to shrink the people rolling out uh, feature XYZ and website or AI backend or analytics because they're so much more productive per hour and because they have AI cools that they can be tighter and sync together and focus on solving really awesome problems and really doing amazing things. That's how I think. I think that that team's going to get better. I agree. And I also think that it's, it goes much wider in the uh, white collar industry than just programming. I think now you're going to start to see those types of integrations in your Word documents across uh, enterprises. So now you can start to share the ideas and the work product that other people in the company you're in have produced. And you can do it in a way where you're able to ask a large language model to cater specific templates 
or even reports in Excel to data and, and even particular readers and how they like to see it. I think that's true, but I don't think it's going to, I, I don't see as big of an impact there as you do. I think that there's, I, I'm detecting we're at a different uh, level there. I think that office work, back in and uh, like PowerPoints, all the jockeying that goes on, I think that they are going to be extremely hesitant to use this. I think the update's going to be much, much slower. Um, and I don't think they're going to have the tools built in in a way that's as impactful and that people are going to suck and guess them. The reason why I think the programmers aren't is because they're dealing with something that is code that they can review and they can talk and share about. When you're talking about for lack of better terms, a Word document that's giving out feelings and presentation and trying to sell something, I don't. I I, I think that people are going to still hold that pretty close. Um, it could eventually be good, um, but I think it's going to take longer because it's going to be more sell side and it's a small group. That surprises me actually about you. That answer, G- given especially today when you used Midjourney. To, to generate artwork for this podcast. Uh, we, we released the first episode today. And I, I think it produced some amazing artwork and anyone listening should definitely go and check out the uh, website, surprisemultiplayer.com. Look at that seamless plug during the podcast. Yes. Um, but I, that actually does surprise me because because just just in the last three years, something like Midjourney is is now you know you can use Discord and and, and use natural language to, to generate artwork. Why can't couldn't you do that for a short pitch deck given input criteria? You can, but the there is no skin like like this. Let's use the AI. There's no downside, and I was already going like, how do I? I can't get this to do what I want, and I don't care. Um, if I was going to go take a pitch deck to my boss and then he's going to have to go take it to the board, I goddamn better make sure I care. And I don't, what worries me and what I think is going to slow it down in this is the perception that people won't read what's being generated. And that perception is going to cause people to be hesitant to trust it and not know whether it's coming. And there's going to be a culture of slowdown to trust this and you're going to have some people that are going to be really impactful and do it but they're never going to tell anybody they do it so that they don't feel like no no i do this all by hand they're lying they're using whatever tools they can get um but i don't think it's going to go as fast as it is with programmers i, you, I not even not even with years until it gets the same impacts i i don't agree i think we're going to see a couple of killer apps but where I, where I think that we're going to see the killer apps are going to be with the results of using large language models, either visually represented inside of an application or uh, making the function of the application drastically more efficient rather than the natural language interface that we're all used to right now today. I mean, yeah, I, nobody wants to talk to your chat engine is fucking true. I'm fucking already tired of that. That's that's a given. Um, but I don't. Maybe I spent too much time in my bubble world. Let me maybe give you an I, example. Let me give you an example. I just don't see it yet. I I think there is an opportunity, and we talked in the last podcast a little bit about filters, right? 
I think there's an interesting opportunity if a product is able to define how I, if I'm able to define how I want to see certain data in certain ways, then I tr- naturally I'm going to trust it much more than you sending me a particular work product that now I'm not sure if you wrote it or if an AI wrote it. So I got to kind of doubly look at it in two different lenses. I would much rather be the person defining the rules that the LLM is now using to filter data to me and then quickly able to go verify it than the other way. Well, then let me ask what you're what you're doing. It's like, are you like uh, department head trying to get information about the overall perspective of uh, like how the manufacturing plant's doing, and you're going to use a large language model to help you in, in generate this stuff, um, or are you asking expecting your minions to use these tools to produce better output? I, I use the term, but I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. So I mean, you have a whole structure of people below. And where do you see this fitting in the structure? Because that's the part I'm guessing. So, so yes, yeah, so let me give you an example where I see this succeeding the best. And I'm not going to use a work example. I'm actually going to use an example in the family. Um, I, I would love to have a shared assistant, digital assistant with my wife. So I knew that if I was scheduling something for work or if I was scheduling something for the family that I could say it and define it in a certain way to that assistant and then my wife could receive it on her side in the way that she now wants to consume it and just that paradigm of having a filter or a pipe and a filter or two filters and i guess in a pipe uh i think you can use that in work now where if you're able to see a feed of information, knowing some context about what that feed is, I could then define how I want to use that information, summarize that information, see it in front of me, and actually consume it without the other individual necessarily having to even worry about it. But I want to use the idea because what I see happening and why I see it, I disagree, is I don't see the technology does any of that. I think the problem is is that large language models allow for humans to communicate with computers in a better, more impactful way. But it doesn't change the paradigm of how the fuck do I get an Outlook calendar invite inside my wife's calendar that she agrees to it because she's on Google and she doesn't check them. So here's here's why maybe I'm not communicating it, interestingly enough. So for me, there are certain ways that I like just like I'm sure you and everyone like to consume certain types of information. And I would much rather have a system where I could tell the large language model how I want it to to respond to me given certain events Mm -hmm. than necessarily my wife having to worry about it. All she needs to worry about is that it's going to get into the the assistant and then the assistant's going to know what it needs to do to get into John's workflow. Right. And so I guess that that's the problem I'm seeing is, the work, the technology stacks aren't there for the workflow. I don't. The, the, we we still I agree. Fig- I agree with that. I and right now, yes, you're right. Yeah, I think the large language model, all it really does is put an interesting interface in order to generate whatever graph or flowchart needs to happen to eventually do what I was talking about. And then we're back to um, how do we get a calendar entry about what kid needs to be at what location at what time across 
the 16 different services, 1,000 different uh, proprietary com- everything, email, Slack, and who knows what else in any coherent way because it's just not available. We're not doing that. We're not an open web. It's not an interconnected system. You don't, you don't think that Apple has someone working on this right now? No. I, not yet. I disagree. I think that Apple out of all of the major big companies in Silicon Valley has been the most quiet about large language models. But I would argue machine learning over the last 10 years, they've been the been the most practical application that is now deployed in everyone's phone. And and, and, and they are actually the only ones that I think could actually make some of the things they're doing because they control everything from top to bottom. So like I can send you a, a, a note, an Apple Notes, and share with it. And then when I FaceTime you, it will literally pop up and say like, hey, you guys also shared this note. Um, it will detect dates and says like, hey, do you want me to set up that? Or it will automatically, but it has that integration. That integration is the more interesting interesting part for me, not the large language models. I would love that integration across the board. 100%. But we are fucking going away uh, from that uh, stuff as fast as we can. A hundred percent. But but I but I, I, I see the I see the large language model being an interesting way now to consume information if if we turn it around, right? And what I mean by turn it around rather if we use the prompts and we use it to uh, to be in front of us with information getting pushed to us rather than pulling that information uh, at requests like you would almost with a search engine. Okay. Uh, we're going into a different area because I think but it's fundamentally different. It is it, fundamentally different. And I don't, I think we could talk a lot about that, but let's, let's, why don't we, we're about at 45 minutes now and we have one more segment left. But I want to. I want to come back first. to this. I do want to come back to this. Most importantly, because like large language models don't do dick. They are pointless unless you hook them up to something. If you want them to make them an agent, because that's what you're asking. You're not asking for a language model. You're asking for an agent. If you want to talk to it, right? And that agent methodology is just not there because we have a fundamental yes. problem within the world in technology where we are building more silos we are not connecting things we are building if the if this then that was the best interconnected service that was there and it's a piece of great i used it but my god that's the best we can expect because there's too much money in not ever losing your customer and you have these silos where you have Google versus out Microsoft versus Slack versus X. And it's not, not open. It's not a communication platform. It is just about how do I make sure that I can keep my users there? I feel like you're about to tell me about a new blockchain and cryptocurrency. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know. I just know that we lost email for some reason. And I still cry at night that nobody wants to use email. Because it was we, the greatest technology we've ever come across I, on computers. I, I would say that we haven't lost email. I, oh, I, I run email for a large company, and we definitely haven't lost email. Emails just stopped innovating uh, 30 years ago or so. And That's why I love it. <laughs> it's why I love it, but but I it doesn't need to stop innovating, right? There are things that in email that exist today that have existed for a long time functionally in you know email 
clients, even the open source ones that are free. Yep. If we had an actual web of trust in email that we could subscribe to and rely on, oh, oh my, my God. God, how much that would make things so much easier. That we're going to put a pin in because I want to talk about that for 45 minutes because this is something I I have come to appreciate that email is awesome. We are underutilizing it. Um, I've used it. Every company I use it at where everybody is, email is fucking awesome inside the company. It is such a dumpster fire for personal reasons because of whatever they are. And it pisses me off because it's so awesome if you can be at your corporate environment where everybody uses email relatively effectively. It's like, Oh my God, I want this. Yeah. And, and I'm in an environment like that now. And granted it, it's not as effective as it could be, but it is no. still the most effective communication mechanism we have. Yep. So Jeremy, what are you playing now on video games? Still playing GT seven every now and then. Um, I mean, I own heart. I, I've been eyeing Baldur's Gate three. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is this is could be a t- an infinite time suck. Um, but more importantly, usually in my video games is what is my son doing, um, and I have him hooked on Factorio. I'm gonna put a pin in Factorio real quick and just uh, talk a little for a second about Baldur's Gate. I. I don't remember the Baldur's Gate series. I remember playing it. I remember enjoying it. I don't remember anything else about it. And I feel, uh, I don't know what all the hype's about, but I'll tell you what I do remember and what I did play the shit out of Diablo 4. And it was a, in my in my opinion, it was a great game. There were some mechanics that I didn't like that get patched in and out you know, all the time. What I don't like and what turned me off is the seasons and the fact that the character that I created six or eight weeks prior to the, the new season, or maybe it was a little bit longer, can't be carried forward into the new content. I understand it. Like, I get why they did it conceptually, but it just it just burns really, really it, hard. It's... Uh... I don't, I get it, but it seems like they repeat the same mistake every time they release this game and every time they have the same problems and they eventually go back. They're like, this is the perfect idea. No, it's not. Everybody hates it. I understand why you're doing it. Just give up. Understand people want continuity. They feel invested in their characters, even if they're not high level. I spent two days. That's enough to feel invested. Like, why are you taking it away from me? God damn it. You know, I, I would, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I care less. I do. I do. I get invested in the character. Sure. I don't want to grind just to get to end game content every single new season. That grind to fifty, and I'm and you know at some point, just like every other game, there's going to be instant boost to thirty, yes. right? It'll take a year, and, but it'll be there. Yep. And I just just why bother? Like, like I let make me do it once, like they did with the campaign. That was actually a really awesome system. Forced you to go through the campaign once. Forced yep. you to, you know, uh, do side quests in some of the altars of Lilith, the searches. Um, yep. Great. Get, let me get to the end game content, and then focus on the end game content. 
I gave up before then, so I don't know. I it was up. it was almost perfect, Jeremy. Like the, it would have it would have been perfect if if they took the same concept of carrying the content between characters and they just continued it in the DLC and eventually the expansion. And I only had to do it once per account, and then or you know what I would even settle for once per hardcore veteran yeah. tier, yeah. right? And you get good at that, and it makes you have the whole process, and you get the mover weapons around, so it's faster, and it's more efficient, you know what you're doing. But that's reasonable. I don't know. Blizzard's, Blizzard's been letting me down for years, so. It's almost like, you know, we're used to it. Ah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. And yet. Maybe that's that. That's spent it. a lot of money and still bought the goddamn game. Every single time. <laughs> Every single time. I didn't buy the mobile one. That's for sure. I didn't buy the mobile one either, but I did fork out whatever the $80 is for the silver edition or whatever, digital edition. I did I too. Was, yeah. I did <laughs> and too. You, and, and, and you know, the honest truth is that I'll probably skip a season or two and then I'll come back and I'll do the whole thing, right? Which is perfectly fine for me. And that's actually how I played Diablo 2 and 3 uh, for many years. I think it's great. Um, but... Uh, I'll definitely end up doing it when the expansion, the full ex- the story expansion comes out because I like the story. So gaming for me is turned into a social thing. Gaming is to hang out with my friends. It is not to play the games by prior large, um, except for Gran Turismo still. Um, but that's a different thing because that's got my idle time while listening to podcasts and a whole different multi-genre genre thing. Um, but that's that's what I want. We, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I don't know how long. Uh, Destiny, the Destiny 2 time frame. I remember. I, the game was good. It had the best, it still has the best shooting dynamics of a, a game. Destiny 2. Uh, yeah. Destiny 1, you know, I think it had, the dynamics were great. And I know that there's a certain someone that would probably slay me if, if I said this. I preferred Destiny 2. Uh, uh, the 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 gameplay, the the different yes. uh, map modes. I thought it was better. I enjoyed it. I I think Bungie did a really great job carrying that game through the many years of expansions and DLC. Um, what I don't like about Destiny is kind of what they I came back to it about a year and a half two years ago just to see where the story has come to I like that they did the the skip forward shortened version of the story they have like a I don't know what they called it but I don't like the fact that they vaulted they vault content yes I I understand it I get it it's still it for people that it. aren't familiar with destiny 2 vaulting just basically the game got so big that it was pushing to the point where they had to remove levels in order to be able to keep the download under the maximum size of PlayStation and Xbox games. They had actually gotten to the point where there were some consoles you couldn't play the game on if they kept all the content. In which I get why they had to remove some of that. Um, I'm pretty sure better compression would have done a little bit something on some of those textures. Come on. Or like... Or, or you or you stream it in a way right yeah you can there are ways to solve this and, and yes. sure I'm sure at a certain point I mean we have well I can't say we all 
many of us have read and watched Ready Player One, there's going to have to be a way that yes. you, you know, because that's where we're going. We're going to VR. We're going to, we're going to this. Oh, I don't agree we're going to VR. We'll be there. Yeah. I... 30 or 40 years. We're going to, okay. maybe VR is the wrong word. Augmented reality is much better. But we're going to have computing devices that, that will need to be able to seamlessly transition between, I would 30, say, thirty, forty years. Sure, I'll bet. Yeah. I'll take. Forward, I, I won't. I, I won't. I won't argue against that. But in five years, hell no. Oh, definitely not. No. no, I mean, I listen. I bought. So, I'll talk about the games real quick that I'm playing, and, and I actually agree with what you said at the beginning. For me, gaming, with the exception of Gran Turismo, <laughs> which is interesting, we both have that same exception. Uh, is a social event. Uh, Diablo 4 was a social event. Uh, some of the Call of Duty games I played was a, were social. Um, I have a bunch of single-player games on my system that are still probably the best games I've played in the last five years. God of War Ragnarok is, is one that I, I still haven't finished. But for some reason, I just, at, at the point of my life, I want to, when I want to go downstairs, I want to multitask. I want to be able to drive and listen to a podcast or listen to some music or who knows. And I can't be 100% focused on a story while doing that. I, it's also the time commitments. Like a single player game, like Boulder Gate, by the way, we can come back to that. Like there's 170 hours of cinematic fucking. That's time. amazing. It's, it's like insane. The Witcher 3. Four, three times bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's just like there's no like I like I'm I'm drooling at this game, but I know in the reality I'll get through two percent of it. Um, nostalgia is strong with me, but that's fine. Um, but the the social is the thing. It's look, I don't. I you know how hard it is to get three people out at the same time. <laughs> it's freaking impossible. So the nice thing about video games for is hey, drop online, anybody's around. Let's let's come together. It's harder and harder as people change, life change, but that's still the thing. That's why I love Destiny. It was the ultimate social game. We played all the time, and then it just started petering out as the people couldn't handle the game anymore. Uh, I wish we could get more people playing games like that. Uh, but yeah. You know, the interesting... Let me, let me say that Gran Turismo is actually one of the reasons why... I hope more people that, uh, at least in my friend circle, get involved in in gaming because it does have that sense of being able to be offline, separate from your friends, and still have this kind of community and the ability to race each other, have time trials, like compete against each other in a way that doesn't that's amenable to people with different schedules. Yes, I do believe that. It's definitely not perfect in that regard. And if if Polyphony Digital or whomever creates the next game that is similar to Gran Turismo, if they can, can if they can take that same concept and build it even further, it'll be even more amazing. Uh, they like they need to find a sweet spot. I think they did this in in Gran Turismo Seven of uh, competition for the individual that's arcade like while still being sim like. I don't think they have created that same kind of pickup game and have fun that you can with 
your group of friends while still constantly moving forward because it's such a it's there's no team base there's no co-op there's no way to form a real effective team and still keep it entertaining without getting unbelievably serious i agree with gran turismo on that on that point and in fact there are things in gran turismo that just to me absolutely don't make any fucking sense like and i could talk about this for a while but what are the fucking the pinwheel of cards the the mobile game that you know I, I i play every single time that i do 26 laps and you know i can get an engine or or stupid credits i'm never i'm not gonna buy dlc sorry i'm never gonna have all the cars because i don't grind credits <laughs> that's, right. that's that's not how i play the game uh, i do it's called my son yeah, well, that's the other thing is you 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 you've already co-opted you know child labor for to grind <laughs> credits. You know, it's no longer Chinese gold farming in World uh, World of Warcraft Three. It's it's I had a child and he's now doing it for me in Gran Turismo. <laughs> if I had a farm, he'd be working the farm. But I don't have a farm, so now he's got. You just have GT credit. credits. I yes. get it, man. Totally. <laughs> but uh, all seriousness, I do think that like that game has like three different games inside of it, and. Uh, it, they need to listen. I, I hope that they pick one, and and, and it is the the sport time trial um, game with a little bit. They need a campaign mode because the campaign mode for me, the, the 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 cafe books is just stupid. Like go around and race and race and race. Like give me a little bit of a campaign. Like come on, I want a little bit of a story. I paid you eighty bucks. <laughs> I yeah, I, I gave I. There was no story there. It was me no. just hitting X, 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 yeah. go forward, forward, pass, pass, pass. And at that point, like, then just let me go to the next screen. Like, don't let me, like, I don't want to see this guy on the screen, blah, 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 in, yeah. in subtitles the whole time. <laughs> they have a uh, love affair with their, their cafe model. They do. They do. What I do have to say, though, is I played I, EA Play, for anyone that um, doesn't know about it, lets you play m- uh, several EA games on any of your uh, platforms for four hours, new games for you know as a demo, and uh, I played F one twenty three a few weeks ago. I think that has a lot of promise. I I'm not really into the F one racing as much as I am the GT racing, mm-hmm. but the way that they've developed a lot of the honor racing, the online components, the team components, is going a lot more towards what you were talking about earlier, Jeremy. And the ability to have offline championship modes and circuits, and then have point based um, oh. between friends. Yeah, it's get it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, I think there are some other games that are coming out in this space, Ren Sport, and a few others that might have that similar feel, but they're leaning more towards the esports side. Okay, see, I that's I, I'm not ready for esport. I'm not ready for that level of competition. I just want to pick some friends that are reasonably. And sometimes we can make it all at the same time. Sometimes your time trials aren't. But hey, and then you just you, you want to know what I want. I want Gran Turismo's weekly races and weekly time trials. But I want the ability to create my own campaigns and share them with friends. That's yes. what I want. Yeah, and then you have a six-week-long process, and then you you basically all all that is is to basically you're starting ranked on the we're all going to play on the same time live on a Sunday, and that's all your starting place is determined by how you did the races. Everybody and, can have fun. Nobody's going to get exactly. kicked out. And Dave Portnoy can start a side business and and have a, you know racing betting and make five hundred million dollars. <laughs> 
and buy it back for a dollar. David Portnoy. God. Listen, the man's brilliant. You can say as much as you want about him, but, you know. He's an asshole. That doesn't Doesn't, mean he isn't brilliant. (laughs) I I understand these things are different. (laughs) Good for him. Fuck him, but good for him. I'm proud of what he's able to do. Fuck him, um, good for him. Just read, like, it's Matt Levine. It's not, that's all, that's, all I know of David Portnoy is from Matt Levine, and then every now and then he shows up on Reddit. I always see Dave Portnoy on the, what is it, One Bite, you know, pizza, pizza. That's I subscribe to that channel, and I've, I've done some of the pizza crawls, and, I, you know, he does have some awesome videos, so. Uh, in that regard, and that's how I was actually introduced to him. I didn't even know about the Barstool uh, sports connection until uh, much yeah, later after watching those videos. I saw a few of the one bite, but I'm like, he takes more than one bite. But that's that's all yeah. I I, that part I still don't understand. He's like, every time he says, everyone knows the rules. One bite, one bite. And the dude eats the whole slice of pizza almost yeah. every time. And it's yes. like, I, you know, listen, I, I'm not the smartest guy, but that definitely isn't one bite. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. But yeah. What? So earlier you said that you and your son are playing Factorio. What interests no, you about? No, no, not not me and my son. Just He's your son. Playing, just okay. my son. <laughs> so I did what, not have that level of commitment and time. So to what? Have a new programming language hoisted upon me. That's where I was going. What? What got him interested in Factorio? Um. So I have a thing with stupid video games um so he wants to play video games all the time he's a 13 year old boy um all his friends want to play Fortnite. they are fucking horrible all they do is yell and scream at each other you know Fortnite between a bunch of boys um and then what i do require if he wants to play certain video games is that they have to be he has to master something so i'm like look if you want you can buy new video games whenever you want if it's got a challenge behind it or you have to actually accomplish something um and particularly first person like single player games that have components so he's at uh in games plus seven on elden ring now so he's beaten it he wants to try to beat elden ring without armor and with one hit point um <laughs> so he's gotten really good at the game he real well deserved i mean he gets people has put a lot of time but he knows what he's doing um, but so because of that he's I'm like all right you need your next challenge and I'm like let's try this so I showed him for uh, f- uh, God Factorio Factorio um, yeah we're we're fifty to sixty hours deep on that for him of active time because it has a difference between active and inactive time um, he spends a fair amount of time on building templates macros how to rebuild save how to design and lay it out so that he can consume resources how to get it to the point where he can build his structures up and i'm like you do understand you are learning programming he looks at me like what do you mean i go it's a turning complete programming language you can build a cpu and then you can program the cpu he's like really i go yes yeah send him some blog articles and let him go down the the rabbit hole Oh, God, if I could get my son to read instead of watch a stupid YouTube video, that would be the greatest thing in my life. <laughs> is, it, is it really, is it the attention span or is it the medium no. that he finds easier? 
It's that's what kids do. Like you, if I tell him to do something, he's gonna be like, I don't know how. We'll go figure it out. Okay, YouTube. And that is the default for. Everything. I do that now too. Like if I have something in my house that an appliance, uh, I had a refrigerator, new refrigerator, and I needed to replace a filter in it. And honestly, the first thing I did was, where did that stupid manual go? Ah, fuck it. I'll just go on YouTube and type the model in, and it shows me how to do it. <laughs> I I have a I I don't YouTube is unbelievably good, um, but I have to start setting rules for myself because YouTube has turned into a TikTok like hellhole, uh, doom scrolling. Yep, and uh, I'm starting to set rules like if the video is shorter than five minutes, I won't watch it. Um, I because, need those rules. My because life. it's really hard for because I hate to say it, I I like some of the uh, we can talk about a crazy kind. There's some lore concepts that I just doom scroll through knives and lore and weird things. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm going to pause real quick. There is an in, a super interesting uh, YouTube channel that my daughter and I um, watch. And it's called, I think you actually told me about this. Is it uh, Kurz got? Yeah, uh, uh, yes, Kirk, uh, Kirk, 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 Yep, and that for me is the perfect format and the perfect t- medium to doom scroll because it is teaching me something and it's keeping me intellectually engaged, and it is so dangerous. <laughs> but at least you're learning you're something. You're not only learning, and, and they fact check. And they do the real work. This channel makes real money. They put real time and effort behind it. They are no joke. Um, I guarantee you 99% of the YouTube shorts have no no thinking behind them. Absolutely not. And, you know, I, I would say anyone that is interested in actually learning something about science, history, take a... Take a some time and watch some of these videos because it really reminds me of being in science class and watching a TV show that actually explained to me how cellular division worked. <laughs> but it's interesting. They do it in a good way. They make sure that it's interesting and they make it. My favorite part is they go like, we are simplifying this because we don't know how to not simplify this. It's very complicated. That's awesome. The fact that they paused and said that because they're like it's not clear it's not possible to say something this complicated so just we know it's simplified it's not perfectly accurate they do such a well job that i was watching a playlist of these about quantum physics and my daughter my 5-year-old daughter was sitting next to me and she actually was asking pretty decent questions about being 5 years old being able to ask questions about planets and and the moon and things that are in and just by listening part-time, because she is still watching something else on YouTube on her phone, uh, <laughs> she's been able to multitask and actually ask questions and engage, be engaged in the conversation. So I, I think it's an amazing medium, but I understand entirely what you mean about just going down a, a you know doom scroll YouTube and chill yeah. <laughs> evening. Oh, and, and I'm... So if you ask my kids... 
they are not happy with me. They are perpetually. We could have an entire segment on Jeremy's unreasonableness as a father in trying to limit technology. Um, and then, then they go like, "Well, we can get around it." And I go, "No, you can't. <laughs> You're not going to beat me yet." It's, it's a challenge though. The day that you, you know, I think, the day you, your kids beat you at your own game, is when you hat tip them. And, and and say thank you kid you've finally grown up <laughs> well they my son had my his screen time password for a week was he was ha- smart enough not to his, not to he wasn't smart enough to not tell his sister mm, see <laughs> and she held she knew for six days wow he didn't say anything and then he fucked with her in a way it was and of she's course like, jd knows the screen time I'm like <laughs> I mean, listen. Screen time passwords—they're only four car- uh, four numbers, right? Uh, I've actually emailed Tim about this. Oh, really? Get, oh, yeah. This come on. This is ridiculous. A screen time password being four fucking numbers. I get it. What the fuck? So my daughter, uh, we use Screen Time because it's you know. My daughter has a, it's an old iPhone, but we use it like an iPod. So she watches YouTube kids and plays some games on it. She's now started to look at any type of pin pad that we have in our house. So like the ring door lock or other things that have pin pads. And she's starting to figure out that the numbers are about the same as the ones that we're using for screen time. And I see her looking around and trying to, you know, guess which numbers and typing it in. So... She's she's not wrong. Now, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. The, they are the same codes. <laughs> yeah, uh, we used to have the same codes for brother and sister. Not anymore because that's a pain in the butt to trade. God, the amount of pin codes I have to keep up with. Do you, yeah? Do you think that at some point before your children are have moved out of your house, when they're both probably a couple more years older, that you start to use the concept of power-ups during like chores like you would tell her her brother's password (laughs) so she could do things to fuck around with like the the time no i I don't think that's gonna go well (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're probably right actually now that i think about that (laughs) it'd be great if there was an inherent way to fuck with people that didn't involve giving all the data but (laughs) yeah no that's like phones like slightly different thing is um i i've made it a uh, i asked my wife i like you cannot give the kids your phone anymore they yeah. cannot do that and i go like i need to be able to communicate with you not worrying about what yeah. they're going to see because we have to discuss things that are not appropriate for our kids to deal with um and so that that's a hard habit to break because it's really easy like here you go fine but i'm like they have phones they, and, they can and they, they have don't... youtube and they literally could you know, in five seconds, probably figure out how to get all the information off. Yeah. Well, I want to make something here. Like my son, will his friends are not allowed to listen to this podcast because if they find out, he doesn't have YouTube anymore. That's he hasn't had it for he hasn't had it for about a month and a half. I'm surprised he hasn't killed you yet. So, with my son, YouTube is a. I have trouble controlling it. He has. He's, it's impossible. He cannot accomplish basic things with YouTube. It's just a perfect 
fit for his brain and it just sucks him in and he needs to get a little older so that he has to figure out a way to mm-hmm. build his own tools to stop it um because it is just it is not a good thing for him it's pretty bad my, for me too i understand yeah my daughter on the other hand she's like i want to watch this thing and then she's like i saw how to paint i want to go paint goodbye yeah Boom. my daughter's like that too I think my son's definitely gonna be more like your son, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just based on what I what I'm hearing. Um, so you, you talk a little bit about the tools you've developed to kind of control these things because I, I really only use FaceTime. I, I don't do any. I'm not at the point yet with my children that I needed to do domain blocking or anything other than the basic time based. I use limitations. Okay. So I did all screen time. It is all apps are one hundred percent approved. They can't buy anything. Can't well, they couldn't buy anything, download anything without approvals. Um, they had block times were eight o'clock at night. Uh, they still can't have their phones in their rooms uh, uh, with them. They go to bed with a room without that shit in it. Um, and then social media was completely blocked. And then all video games for my son are, he has an hour and a half of video games on his phone. That is it. And he has to ask for more time. He's got 45 minutes of Snapchat because I do think he needs ability to communicate. That's how a large amount of schools communicate. So he does that, but he knows he only has 45 minutes. So he uses it for communication, not for scrolling because scrolling 45 minutes means that, Hey, I'm not going to be able to check my Snapchats later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we try to force, the social constructs around a a very simple concept of geographically he has a lot of freedom in his where he lives he can go where he wants he's he has no curfew at the age of 13 he can go out with his friends and he's been out till one in the morning already um and that's completely okay with us but online he has much more limits because there's no boundaries in geographical regions um my daughter's different place does doesn't need so that's how we do it is hard limits and then he has to ask for things and then there's the harder problems which is when to approve things when to approve special requests when to do those those can be quite annoying um but you just gotta but it be consistent is the software good enough with apple that it works seamlessly between ipad and uh, mac yes yes and it does really good statistics uh, the things that are really shitty are how to control contacts. So um, we used to, we don't longer with my son or daughter. They're, they're old enough to know the difference, but they could, couldn't manage their contacts. And so they couldn't add people for phone calls and for text messaging. We had to do it for them. So they'd say, hey, mom, I would like to talk to this person. That system sucked so bad. It it's, made me want to gouge my eyes out. It's surprising in Apple's ecosystem that the contacts are it's one of the applications that has been around since the beginning of the iPhone and it it literally hasn't changed at all since the beginning it is changing now it is changing in 17 yeah in the new version 17 is it changing for the better or which way is it going Um, remember how we were talking about back way back in the AI area about how they're kind of making it all integrated and uni- unified. Oh. Um, so what that means is the uh, the picture, all that is automatic from iPhone to iPhone. If I if you call me, we no longer have to share pictures. I'm going to get a full poster size picture of whatever you send. I don't. But 
I don't mind that as much if there was the ability for me to say a picture for my close friends and a picture for there is. publicly. If that functionality existed, it works. Then I don't have a problem with even with even my V card, which is the worst oh, name you, by the way. We have some friend that's going to have some, some uh, really inappropriate messages. That is, going I to feel like I need to call. dub that one out. My my iCalendar or card gets sent between contacts because that's actually one of the more useful features that I yes. think uh, that has been buried inside of the send share functionality. Uh, Bluetooth to Bluetooth between uh, Apple devices. It, it's an amazing piece of functionality. It fucks up so often where, you know, especially with those of us that have the same name as our father and the same name as our, as our children, it tries to merge all that shit together yeah. unsuccessfully. <laughs> Remember, yes. So, but back to the kids, if we can go back, because I'd love to talk about this because that's my favorite topic is why the fuck are contacts so hard to mm. fucking do in this world? Um, it's It just takes time. And I've tried to help parent other parents set up how we do screen time. And screen time is a dumpster fire. Um, it is a mess. It's hard to use. It is literally the opposite of how it should be done. Um, screen time should be a, an Apple iOS app. Uh, that makes it easy that allows you to go through the top to bottom it should be like hey you will you can use these it's built the existing screen time is built into everything but you can download an apple app that gives you an easy to use interface as a parent where you can lock and unlock you can set up very simple things to go forward and do things it is so hard to use right it's easy to misconfigure like if you put an application in two different groups they both count against the same time clock it's just right that same it's functionality, just, that same functionality, realistically could be used, and should be how they implement MDM, right? Inside of applications, but you know as well as I do that <laughs> that's not how no this thing They're yeah. never going to have that incentive. And but but wait, I'm going to just give you screen time is now available. Uh, API can be approved as data for applications, so you can now. So I use a little self timer like application called. Uh, let me pull up the name of it. Uh, streaks. Um, and then streaks, it allows it, I can now have streaks based on, hey, if I didn't use five minutes of, uh, of YouTube, cool. it will give me, at the end of the day, it will show like, hey, you used over your limit versus under your limit. So that See, the data awesome. becomes available to you, which I that's really awesome. like. One thing, you know, now, just real quick, we're talking about lack of features in the iPhone. You mentioned earlier about your children looking at your messages and being able to communicate with your spouse um, without having to worry about your children seeing that. There are other applications like Telegram that do this. I am surprised you can't use Face ID to lock messages on the phone before you open it. Um, they're adding some interesting features with that. Um, I know that private your private tab in Safari is now behind Face ID. Um, I think that there are some the, some other things that are going behind Face ID, um, optionally. Um, so you can ratchet that up. Um, it doesn't matter. My son now knows that he can add faces to Face ID, <laughs> and you can have multiple faces. Um, it, it, it like that's not a that's not just it's can't be expected um, because I talk about the kids with my wife and and she's like fuck they saw that and I'm like. Thanks. Why would they have your phone? You know, I mean, right. 
Uh, well, I mean, do you do you turn off like mute your wife's messages so that in the car they don't get read? So made that mistake very recently. <laughs> when I'm like, oh, but I click it and I'm like, oh fuck, fuck, ding, 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 ding. No, 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 rip the phone out, rip the cord out of the phone. <laughs> Too late. Thought I was like, why'd mom say that? Oh. <laughs> And that's a year of therapy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I specialize in giving therapy. That's my that that's a full time gig. Oh boy, but it's but it's hard. It's hard. that's the part I don't like. Is like doing the right thing with a phone is impossible for fifty percent of parents out there. And I'm being generous by saying fifty can do it. I think that fifty can't. You know, the honest truth is, I didn't even know this functionality existed on the iPhone until I talked to you. Uh, a few years ago when we my daughter first started using an, iP- an iPod and I, I still don't know I'm assuming there's a similar set of functionality on the Android um, but it it makes sense it makes sense that this is something that uh, ne- is needed to be used by parents especially parents now that where kids are growing up with phones you know before in some cases they even go to school yeah, I mean, I we have another thing. You ever heard of green light? Mm-mm. So we have my kids. So we do a lot of skiing. We do a lot of traveling. My kids have credit cards. They've had them for about three years. Um, it's called Green Light, and it literally is an app attached to a v, a Mastercard that we can move money into. They can get their allowance paid by, and I see every single charge they do instantly. It's wonderful. Like they get money for gifts or birthdays. It goes straight into the green light card. So let me ask you a question. Do you use Apple Pay? Uh, Apple credit card? Uh, I use Apple the Apple card personally. My kids use green, uh, uh, the green light. But only, uh, only my son can because he's 13. You can't use the Apple ah, wallet until you're 13. That was my next question. I didn't know that. Um, because it seems to me, it seems like a perfect Apple Pay, Apple debit card situation where you could give them a, basically it's a secured debit card. You So recently the Apple card can now, you can give your kids Apple cash at a younger age, but you have to be only the parents can send them money. Uh, Which makes sense. Pure, pure Apple cash and they're in control of it, but there's no credit behind it. It's just Apple holding lots of money. There's a whole, whole segment, a whole series of segments about the brilliance and maybe the downfall of society about Apple becoming a bank um, and a loan provider and a payday I mean, provider or payday I loan mean, provider. I thought I, I do. I thought I heard that FX, uh, like Apple, is one of the biggest people that has to deal with currency change, currency domains, the FX world, because they have so much money, they have to move around. I mean, I believe it. Like, if you think about it, I mean, you're you'd want to move all your money around based on what consumption, like like your free cash. Like, listen, I'm not a finance expert, but I could I I couldn't even imagine at the scale that Apple needs to operate how that works. I mean, J.P. Morgan, Apple. It works like a bank. It's got to work like a bank. (laughs) It's that big. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, if I remember correctly, at least at the beginning of uh, Apple Pay and uh, the Apple Card, uh, Goldman Sachs, or, or at least um, one of the subsidiaries, 
partnered with them. So I don't know how much they're actually doing. So the credit card is is 100% administered by Goldman Sachs. Um, the the float of cash for the the uh, the the Apple uh, savings account, I do believe, is by Apple themselves. But I don't remember for sure. I have to check that out. Wow. I know at least I got at least 15 bucks in there. I'm sure a lot of other people do. That's a big float to carry. I mean, but they are they have what like hundred billion dollars in cash or something like and they're richer than God. Yeah. Like they could, it's amazing to me. Come on. They're offering at 4.15 inch percent APY yeah. in the most easy to use interface ever. Yeah. And it's, it's with Goldman Sachs. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you should use betterment. You can get 5.5. I love betterment. Uh, I, but uh, but, uh, but the fact that the Apple credit card is integrated for my wife and I, it, it's it works so nicely. We actually share the account. We can see the purchases. We can talk about stuff. Like it's it works for us. I, I'm. Uh, we should do a personal finance segment because I think I won't talk about money, but holy how sh- we handle stuff. Yeah, I love YNAB. 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 I don't know what YNAB. that is. You need a budget. dot com. Oh, I'll go there. Uh, I I have been using Betterment. I love Betterment. You know, uh, it's been great for me for years. Um, but I don't use it for anything other than like what I've rolled over from my four hundred one k's from previous jobs. Yeah, now you've used. I've basically used. They have a system. I understand. They've done reasonable with their fees given their structure. Uh, and that's basically what I optimize for is fees. Try to keep fees low, and they have enough extra features that I'm willing to pay their fee structure, which is far more significant than Vanguard Direct. Um, but I like having all those other nice little widgets and doohickeys. 